Hey everyone, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and this week's study is Mormon chapters 1 through 6. And if I can, um, I'm really excited for these chapters. I mean, we're excited for every study that we get to do. Um, But I've always loved the Book of Mormon in the Book of Mormon because there's so much, I don't know, humanness in the book uh, because of Mormon's pain and his experience, you can just sense that this is real and raw um, for him. And maybe it's because I can sense him and Moroni in this book reaching through the millennia to our day, because their hope is that we will read what they're writing and that we will learn from the mistakes of their civilization. And we'll talk more about that in the episode, but I just, I'm really excited um, for this study, if that's not too much of an introduction. So, but before we do dive in, you had, was it a high or a low? Mm, Well, let's see. I think it was starting out as a low, but I could twist it to be a high. Okay. But we'll we'll just say that... um, It starts out with a little story that many of you have been on this journey with us from the beginning because when our podcast first started, um, we mentioned that we were recording in our closet. So we have kind of been through a recording studio journey. Last week we talked about my hair journey, or a couple weeks ago we talked about my hair journey. This is the recording This is the recording studio. Well, the closet was, it was, I had read somewhere that you wanted to have like dampening uh, behind the microphone. And so we thought, well, the clothes in the closet, it's a really small closet. The clothes in the closet would like, would dampen the sound and well, reduce the Well, not only that, echoes. but we were draping blankets strategically <laughs> and closing the door. So our kids couldn't hear. So we were upstairs. It was always super hot while we were it recording. so hot. I remember like looking closet. at the time like, okay, we've got 10 more minutes. I think we can make it well, we'd start at, sweating. We'd start at like 10.30 or 11 o'clock. We had to record the intro like 15 times because we were so, we didn't like our voices or we didn't like what we okay, said. Okay, okay, or... but this is environment here. Okay, not, all right. not our all of our other mistakes. We have had plenty of those as well. So that was the first studio. That was our first, you know, studio air quotes. <laughs> um, and then, let's see, I think we upgraded and we moved to maybe sitting on our bed. I think it was the floor in our bedroom. Oh, okay. And we would record on the little end table at the foot of the well, bed. Well, that was that was that the was most fancy. recent. We would sit re- on bathroom stools. Remember that? Yes, the kids, <laughs> the kids' bathroom stools were our chairs. And when our knees started hurting, because I like to sit on the floor, you don't as much. Uh-huh. But um, anyway, so it has been that has been exciting. Mm. <laughs> To say the least. Anyway, so we moved to a new house a couple months ago, as we've mentioned. And I think we've been here two months now, a little over two months. And we have are excited. It's a high because we have dedicated a new room in our house. Not a new room. Corner of a room. A a small room to an office space. And we are going to do a little podcast studio and actually be a little bit official. Do we get to have like a desk and like chairs and... They might even have a cushion on the chair. Maybe. Oh. 
or B, not child-sized chairs. Um, <laughs> Covered in toothpaste. Yeah. So anyway, um, but that's my high that that's coming, but it actually is probably going to take us like a year. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to unpack or to pack unpack, unpack a house, as many of you well know. So we'll see. We will keep you posted on when that actually happens. As it is, we're recording on the floor in the basement with the microphone propped up on a beanbag chair. At least the beanbag. I did buy this new, like comfy beanbag chair so that is that's our desk for tonight and that's the high and kind of the low because (laughs) we're still on the floor but makes it feel more what would you say um i don't authentic i don't have old man knees but they're becoming old man knees from because of this because of this podcast that's definitely a low then aging my body it is (laughs) but it's invigorating my mind so there you go oh i hope it is um here we go all right so um, we're going to start depressing. Um, and it's hard not to because the Book of Mormon in the Book of Mormon can be um, depressing. Uh, this is Mormon, one of the last Nephites and one of the last Christians um, in the geography that he lived in, uh, telling, as his son Moroni will put it later on, the sad tale of the destruction of his people. Um, And so he'll tell his story and his leadership of the Nephite armies, his abdication of that leadership, um, and the not-so-slow decline of the Nephite people. Um, And it's, it's, it's chilling, it's graphic, Um, At one point, this is chapter 5, verse 8, Mormon says, Now behold, I, Mormon, do not desire to harrow up the souls of men in casting before them such an awful scene of blood and carnage as was laid before mine eyes. Um, (laughs) But with all of that, there is a point, there's a purpose for Mormon's narration. And he hints at that purpose in verse 11, chapter 5. He says this, I know that such, meaning his modern-day readers, he knows that what he's writing is not going to save his people, but he knows that it will be read by future peoples. And he mentions both, uh, well, three. He mentions uh, modern Jews. He mentions Uh, the descendants of the Lamanites, and he mentions Gentiles um, who, or which references us, or which refers to us. And so in verse 11, he says this, I know that such will sorrow for the calamity of the house of Israel. Yea, they will sorrow for the destruction of this people. They will sorrow that this people had not repented Um, They will sorrow that if this people had not repented, that they might have been clasped in the arms of Jesus. And then in the very next chapter, he starts to explain that sorrow. Um, One verse among many that I could read is verse 19. O ye fair sons and daughters, ye fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, ye fair ones, how is it? that ye could have fallen. But behold, you are gone, and my sorrows cannot bring your return. 
Now that's the sad tale. I, I um, when I teach the Book of Mormon, I will point out somewhere near the beginning um, to students of the Book of Mormon that the Book of Mormon is not a um, a happy ending book. Um, I remember learning in school once there were comedies and tragedies. Comedies ended, you know, happily ever after, and tragedies ended with uh, with sadness or despair. And this Book of Mormon is not a comedy. It's a tragedy. Uh, it ends with the complete destruction of the Nephite people. Um, however, Mormon is writing because he knows that if his story doesn't end happily, that some future story, maybe our story, could end happily. And so what we want to do in this episode is something that changes our study of Mormon from a study of a tragedy to potentially um, a study that can bring us our own happy ending. And what it takes is a little bit of reversal. You have to take some of the things that you read in this book and think, well, it didn't, it was that way for them, but if I reverse that, it could be different for me. They didn't do this, but if I do this, it can be different for me. So for example, in that verse 19, what if we changed a word? O ye fair ones, uh, ye fair sons and daughters, ye fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, O ye fair ones, how is it that you could have, what if we erase the word fallen and put the word risen? What if we make this study, instead of what was it that contributed to the fall of the Nephite people, what can we learn from them that can help us, instead of fall, in the face of our own trials and difficulties and political and social and global turmoil, what is it that we can learn from them that will help us rise from what we're seeing and actually restore peace and happiness and goodness to our own lives and to the world? Well, I'll just add this one in real quick because, Zach, you have already read this verse. Um, but I think it's what we need to be doing as we study this week and what we need to be doing to help us rise, like answer that question that you asked um, and this is, so chapter 5, verse 8, it's Mormon speaking, and he says, And now behold, I, Mormon, do not desire, desire to harrow up the souls of men, casting before them such an awful scene of blood and carnage as I was laid before mine eyes. But I, knowing that these things must surely be made known, and that all things which are hid must be revealed upon the housetops. You just see in these chapters, um, Mormon speaking and you see this greater vision that he has. He is not seeing anything positive before him. He tells us what he's seeing, and he's saying, I don't really want to talk about that as much, even though he does explain a little bit about it. Um, but what I want to do is to make sure that these things are made known and revealed everywhere. And maybe he sees some of us today. Maybe he sees us in his mind's eye as, as the prophet, as someone who is recording these scriptures for us. And so the thing I think to help us rise above is to listen to him, listen to the prophets of the Book of Mormon, um, listen to scripture. They're there for a reason. And then, of course, listen to our prophet today, who is this same watchman on the tower, as they say, that I, I, I just love that phrase. I think someone used it in conference, actually, again. And I just, 
I feel like that's what Mormon is doing here. And I, I feel like that's what President Nelson is doing for us today. So maybe the first answer to that question is, is to listen and obey the prophets. So then the next thought that I had um, to help us rise was, of course, this theme of repentance that we see throughout. Of course, Mormon is crying repentance to the people. He wants them to change or wants us to change and talks about how these people didn't change. Um, and I, I just loved the idea of kind of the frame that this provides for repentance for us and for what happened to them. This is in chapter 2, verse 12. And it came to pass that when I, Mormon, saw their lamentation and their mourning and their sorrow before the Lord, my heart did begin to rejoice within me, knowing the mercies and the long suffering of the Lord. Therefore, supposing that he would be merciful unto them, that they would again become a righteous people, because he saw the beginning of repentance, right? And then in verse 13, but behold, this my joy was vain, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance because of the goodness of God, but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in sin. And then he talks in verse 14 about that broken heart, contrite spirit, those those things that we talk about when related to repentance. But the word that stuck out to me was this in verse 12, the mourning and sorrow before the Lord. And then in verse, th- verse 13, He says, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance. And I thought, what an interesting contrast to have as what kind of sorrow. I guess the question that I asked myself was, what what kind of sorrow are you having as you repent? And what does that mean? I don't really necessarily have an answer, but I think it's an important question to ask yourself as, as you examine yourself each week while taking the sacrament or as you try to improve what is where is the sorrow coming from and I think for me I look at it well I can see a difference right now as I have anxiety or I have worries about the world right now the future of my my children's future the future of the world whatever it is um where is my sorrow coming from is it sorrow because I'm fearful Or is my sorrow because I'm leaning on and trusting on Jesus? I think, I think it's okay to feel sad. I think Mm -hmm. it's okay to feel that, those, that mourning, but in what way am I sorrowing? Well, does that make sense? Well, it does. Cause it's an interesting thought that Mormon sees sorrow and he rejoices because he knows that there is good sorrow. And he describes that, even though he's mentioning that they don't have it, he describes that their sorrowing was not unto repentance because of the goodness of God, meaning that good sorrow is sorrow unto repentance because of the goodness of God. And I think Come Follow Me talks about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Um, and and this is certainly part of that, but I think it's it's even more. There's a sorrowing because we sense that God is good and there's something that can change. That's the kind of sorrow that Mormon mm. is excited about. The sorrowing that uh, causes damnation is the hopeless, bleak um, sorrow that sees no possibility for change and no growth. Isn't that interesting? Because when you talk about like anxiety, 
it's always that downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. He's It's that downward spiral of sorrow of there's no hope, there's no joy, there's no nothing. And you just kind of spiral out of control. But when you have a little bit of that hope, maybe that's what that godly sorrow gives us is that hope for the future and that brightness that Mormon sees here. Yeah. I like that. Well, the thought I have is kind of connected to that. Um, in chapter 5... An obvious answer to the question of what can we learn from these chapters that will help us rise in the face of our own worldly turmoil is that these people lived completely without the influence, in fact, in complete rejection of the influence of God and Christ. Um, This isn't a phrase from these chapters. It comes earlier on, but it describes them. Uh, They didn't sin ignorantly, but willfully rebelled against God. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 16, it says, For behold, the Spirit of the Lord hath already ceased to strive with their fathers, and they are without Christ and God in the world, and they are driven about as chaff before the wind. Um, Of course, the answer to flip that around is, well, if we have more Christ and God in the world, Uh, then the world will rise, which makes doctrinal sense. Jesus Christ condescended, meaning he chose to come to earth to have a mortal birth, a mortal life, and a mortal death. With all that that entails, so that he could descend below all things, so that he has the power to raise all things. And that's a doctrine taught throughout the Book of Mormon. He'll say that in 3 Nephi 27 when he says that the Father sent him so that when he was lifted up on the cross, he then had the power to lift up anyone else that came with him. The implication for us, though, in that simple doctrine um, is, I think, really powerful. The phrase that caught my attention was that they are without Christ and God in the world. And I wondered, well, what does it look like then to have the opposite? Um, It doesn't say that the world was without Christ or God. It says that these people were without Christ or God in the world. So what does it look like to live in the world and have Christ and God with you? What does it look like to live with God or Christ in the world? Um, The easy answer, the quick one that came to mind is, well, you just talk more and share more about Christ. And I think we're pretty practiced at that as a church church. President or Elder Bednar gave us the challenge a couple of years ago to flood the earth with positivity. And on social media, I see so many of our brothers and sisters posting positive messages and testimonies and invitations to conference. And we're sharing copies of the Book of Mormon and we're sharing our testimonies with our friends, all of which is great. But I think to live with Christ and God in the world means not just to talk about them more often, but to live our everyday worldly life deliberately practicing what Christ taught and exemplified. In other words, when I go to work, I act like Christ would act. I speak the way that he would speak, and I do what he would do. When I am uh, engaged in a political discussion, I speak the way that Christ would speak. I act the way that he would act. Uh, Maybe this is just an over-dramatization of the simple, what would Jesus do? 
But it's an interesting question. In the world we live in, what would Jesus do? If he lived in a democratic society, if he were a citizen, and I know you could say, well, he was the son of God and he could come and he'd just be the king. Erase all of that for a minute. If Jesus Christ were a citizen of the United States, for example, and he were heading into an election season uh, and he was to engage in political discussions and make decisions, how would he act? How would he treat other people? How would he approach the process? Um, how would he speak about or react to some of the social or racial injustices that we're seeing? How would he speak or deal with um, some of the family problems that we face? What would, he, what would it look like if he were here? And so what would it look like if I lived with Christ or with God in the world? If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's an important question to ask ourselves. And I love that in the verse that you haven't read yet, the following verse, you read verse 16, you know, they are without Christ and God in the world. What would that look like with Christ? Well, he tells us in verse 17, he says, they were once a delightsome people and they had Christ for their shepherd. They were led even by God, the father. Um, when I read that verse, I thought the first thing that came to mind was from President Nelson, let God prevail. Mm. Isn't that what it feels like? They were delightsome because they had Christ for their shepherd. They were led even by God, the father, that you let God prevail in your life. And you know, I've probably went off way too many times. I at least know I did in the last year's New Testament study about the analogy of the shepherd um, and Christ as our good shepherd. When you let God lead you, when you let him be your shepherd, your caretaker, all of those beautiful analogies that come with the shepherding um, shepherding title, I guess mm-hmm. you'd say, is, is just a beautiful example of what that really means to have um, Christ and God in your own world. Let, letting them lead and prevail and shepherd you. I like that. So as I studied this next answer to the question of how we can rise, um, this is the, the phrase that stood out to me. This comes from chapter 3, verse 9. And it talks, he starts talking about the great things which his people, the Nephites, had done, he says. And this phrase, they began to boast in their own strength. And began to swear before the heavens that they would avenge themselves of the blood. So it became all about them. They were boasting in their own strength. And I just couldn't think back on so many chapters that we studied already. And so so often the phrase that we see in the Book of Mormon, it was in the strength of the Lord. We did, and we see it all throughout scripture. But how many times we've seen that, I'm thinking specifically of Nephi and all of these stories we've heard of knowing that it was God's strength that led them and how often that if we forget that and we boast in our own strength or we try and go about um, today navigating today's all of those turmoil, the political, the social that Zach already mentioned, um, we can find ourselves in trouble really quickly because it's not us. Let's rise up because we can rise up so much stronger, so much higher when we remember that it's in the strength of the Lord. Well, and you mentioned this phrase, or maybe we're talking about it or just came to my mind before we were recording, but um, the phrase, 
trusting in the arm of flesh versus trusting in the arm of God uh, is often synonymous with that strength of the Lord or in our own strength. Mm-hmm. Um, I found this idea repeated um, of arms and hands throughout these chapters. Uh, chapter 5, verse 11, for example, we read the beginning part of it about us sorrowing for the destruction of the Nephites. Uh, but one of our sorrows, Mormon says, will be that this people could have repented and been clasped in the arms of Jesus. Uh, verse 23 in that same chapter, Know ye not that they are in the hands of God? And then chapter 6, verse 17, O ye fair ones, how could you have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? Um, to your point, it is very tempting in our own personal lives when we face difficulties and in the world when we see difficulties to want to solve the problem ourselves, to want to use our arms or our hands to solve big problems, which we, of course, can do, but sometimes we're met with uh, frustration or, uh, or lack of success. Um, to remember that all things are in God's hands, that he holds the world, he holds us and our neighbors, he holds these cultures and these peoples in his hands and, uh, and is capable and able to save his own. It reduces some of the anxiety, at least that I feel, for needing to solve all the problems and directs my energies to asking him what I can do to help, to trusting in his strength rather than just relying on my own. Well, it gives that shepherd analogy just even that extra little oomph of remembering that um, he's our shepherd. He's that, I mean, he said it a couple verses ago, <laughs> verses ago, a couple studies ago, that he's the hen gathering us. He's His arms are open for us. He's there to take care of us, which is just, maybe it's just me. I need that right now. I need mm-hmm. him to be that for me. And I love that we're reminded of that in these verses, in these chapters this week. Well, to conclude, this isn't in this Book of Mormon, in the Book of Mormon, uh, but it is in his writings. This is the Words of Mormon, chapter 1, verse 7. And he's talking about why he included the small plates of Nephi, but I think this applies to all of his writings. He says, I do this for a wise purpose, for thus it whispereth me according to the workings of the Spirit of the Lord which is in me. And now I do not know all things, but the Lord knoweth all things which are to come. Wherefore, he worketh in me to do according to his will." If you listen to conference, you heard multiple apostles reference these times in the Book of Mormon and draw similarities between them and our day. I think one of the great powers that we can find as we study these later chapters in the Book of Mormon is they were meant for us to be read in the current situations that we're facing so that we can learn lessons from the past and change the way that our own future looks. I'm confident that God has us and this world in his hands, that our future will look different than their past did, and that we can find joy and peace and resolution in the world that we live in. I think we're all hoping for that. 
Um, Thank you so much for being here, for listening, for supporting us with this podcast. Um, We're grateful that you're here and hope that you enjoy your study this week of Mormon chapters one through six. We'll talk to you next week.